Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Okay. Oh, welcome to the Building Science. To the Building Science Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin here with Mark Davidson today, and we're going to be talking filters, filters and filtration in the context of uh, indoor air quality. Mark is the marketing and technical materials manager at CamPhil USA, a role he's been in for several years. Um, welcome, Mark. And uh, would you like to say a little more about your, uh, your role there at CamPhil? Sure. I, I guess on a day-to-day basis, I guess it's fair to say what I do is I, I'll write some articles or edit articles uh, about air quality and products and things like that. We, uh, we participate in some of the vehicles we make or the videos that we make on our YouTube channel. Uh, and we promote not just Canfield products, but I also think it's fair to say we promote just general information on the value of clean air you know, and how to identify the optimum air filter for your particular application or your circumstance. Uh, so we do that. I attend trade shows and participate in ASHRAE committees and uh, uh, various events like that. I try to make sure our field personnel have whatever they need to present, you know, our value proposition to our uh, prospects and customers. Excellent. Well, I'm certainly glad you're here today. And listeners, I just want to remind you, um, it might not be obvious, but it is certainly real that air is your dominant environmental intake, as it were. Um, you're breathing around 30 pounds of air a day. You're taking it in right now, I'm pretty sure, assuming you're living. 12 to 16 times a minute, you're taking air into your lungs where it goes into your blood and from there into every tissue and cell. So in case you had any doubt, uh, post-pandemic world, that air has air, air and air quality has relevance to your uh, health and well-being, let there be no doubt. And today we're going to be talking about how to deliver clean air. And so let's start, Mark. Um, hey, if I could just, please. what you just said just struck a nerve with something. And, and I would say that Canfield's vision statement, you know, every company's got a vision statement and they should. And our vision statement, sometimes we pose it in the form of a question. And our vision statement is clean air, a human right. And, you know, we answer that yes. And, and I think it kind of ties into what you were just talking about. Clean air should be a human right. We all demand, we all should should demand clean air for everybody. Because as you say, all of us are breathing every, you know, every 12 times a minute. We're always taking in breath. So it, yeah, it, it yeah. should be clean. Yes. I love it. I love it. In fact, let's, let's just go with this because to expand on that, right? So here we are. We are in the industry to deliver clean air to indoor environments, to buildings. And if you think about that in the context of buildings and building code, right, we have fire code. No one argues with that. We have structural code. No one argues with that, right? We have um, requirements that are imposed on delivering potable water to residences and, and to buildings. And no one seems to argue with that. And all of those things are there to protect the public to um, for life safety benefits. And, you know, it seems reasonable to me that air quality requirements would be happening as well. And, you know, I, I get it. It cuts both ways. We have plenty of plenty of regulations in our world, 
but it's certainly in this era of wildfires and you know m- modern homes filled with chemicals uh, the indoor air can be exposed to a lot of pollutant sources making today's topic that much more <laughs> uh, interesting and important so hvac at the core of hvac is people um you have any thoughts about like what's at the core of hvac mark yeah, I, I would, you know, I've, sometimes I've described if you think about HVAC and break it down to its its core components, there's really two core components. But if you even step back before you get into the phrase HVAC and what that stands for and think that at the very beginnings, the only reason why we're here talking about air quality is because somebody wanted to or needed to move air from point A to point B. That's the very first step in HVAC. And, and when, when that air is moved, it, it gives an opportunity or a possibility, sometimes a requirement or a necessity for filtration. So that's where this all begins, right? You're going to move air from point A to point B. And then when you get into, okay, what does that mean? You look at HVAC, you can kind of break H, HVAC down into two components. And in an ideal world, I think you you change HVAC to HACV or VHAC, <laughs> right? Because the H and the AC kind of go together because that's conditioning the air. Mm-hmm. Okay, so or thermally conditioning the air, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, it, it, exactly. You're either thermal and moisture. Air, yeah, you're going to heat the air. You're going to cool the air. You're going to add humidity. You're going to take humidity away. So you're conditioning the air. That's that's one step. And there's. There's a lot involved and a lot of awful smart people that make a lot of amazing equipment, you know, that that can heat the air and cool the air. I mean, I've been in 150,000 CFM units that are 30 feet across and the, uh, you know, they're heated with gas, natural gas. And so this looks like a bunch of flamethrowers in there, you know, because you got to heat 150,000 CFM of air. That takes a lot of gas, a lot of flame. At the same time, if you're going to cool that, like into a large industrial food plant that has to have cool temperatures inside while they're working on uh, different uh, food products, you know, that requires they, a lot of cases they use ammonia as a refrigerant because that's, that's what they need to cool that much air. You know, that's a hazardous material. So you need all of those people who are, who are trained and understand how to use ammonia. And, and again, just, just the technology behind heating and cooling the air and removing or adding humidity is incredible. I mean, there is thousands and thousands of people behind that. It's always amazing to see how smart engineers are and how they can come up with that. And that's just the first part. The second part of HVAC is ventilation, and that's moving the air. And And if you've ever dealt with fan laws, you, you probably have pulled out oh, a yeah. few hairs. I mean, oh my gosh, that's just horrible. And but just think about how complicated electrical motors are and all the engineering behind that and you know, structural ductwork has to go into that. So you need structural engineers. So the HVAC industry is huge and involves an awful lot of people, a lot of products, a lot of a lot of really smart people, a lot of know-how to get that air delivered from point A to point B and condition it. And I and I guess my world, air filtration, we we're, we fall under the V. You know, we're a subset of ventilation, and we're a relatively small subset if you think about it. But I also now even scribble this down because it's a saying I like. Um, an air filter is a single component in a larger and more complex system, but 
the performance of this one component can affect the overall performance of the entire system. Absolutely. And it's, yeah, and even though filters are, are one of the smallest and least expensive components in the entire HVAC system, everything that system does goes through that filter. And if you don't understand how filters work and you don't understand how to pick the optimum filter, I'm not saying you wasted all your money beforehand. So if you don't optimize your air filter, then you're missing out on a great opportunity to flow the right amount of air and filter it to the level that your application requires. Well said. Yeah. At a, at a very fundamental level, you know, just kind of summarizing what you said, there's heating and cooling, right? And of course we're going to heat and cool the indoor space. And then there's, there's taking care of humidity, which happens somewhat as a side effect of cooling, but also can happen directly. There's ventilation and filtration, right? So this is the the other boot to drop. And you know, my experience on project teams is that often there's a overemphasis on heating and cooling, and an under underemphasis on filtration. Which I would kinda... say that's absolutely correct. We, we see <laughs> yeah. that often. Yeah. So the V, the V in HVAC. Yeah, I love the idea that it's V <laughs> and yeah. you know HAC or something V hack. That is really where the rubber meets the road as far as the, the health and you know, the quality of the indoor space um, is as good as the, the quality of the indoor environment in terms of human health. And I really appreciated that you called it out. I mean, this is the Building Science podcast and Building Science is systems thinking applied to buildings. And what you have is an air filtration system. Somewhat in our culture, there's this emphasis on products, um, you know, no disrespect at all to Camfill, which sells products. But obviously, products work as part of a system. Um, so let's get into it. Let's let's talk about uh, you know the understanding the basics of air filtration, and in our prep time for this, you know, so listeners, you know, what, what I'd like you to know is that Mark and I have spent a lot of time planning this podcast, and I'm really grateful, Mark, to your for your time in that and your expertise. He had this awesome metaphor story allegory oh my, my exactly mosquito analogy your mosquito analogy yeah. yeah talk about that please okay so i think sometimes especially if you're in a larger facility where you've got a, a large hvac system as you were saying and part of that system may be uh, monitors and control a management system all the controls and gadgets and everything's like that it can at some point be be intimidating uh, like, well, you don't understand how this works and things like that. But I would say that that most people, once they reach a certain age and if they played around with cars or did anything like that mechanical, um, or even work around the house or something, you've developed enough know-how in the background that you don't even realize that you have. And my suggestion is most of us understand the basics of air filtration completely. We understand how it works and we understand the, the key attributes of an air filter. We just never realize that we do. And, and I can, you know, I you can it. use an example and you can show this. So imagine it's, it's later tonight, it's at the end of the day and uh, you're kind of done working and you want to go relax. You've got a book you want to read. So you go into the little den you have, you flip open a window, maybe you got made yourself a nice little Manhattan, right? <laughs> you open the window to get some cool breeze because again, you want to move air from point A to point B right? So you open the window to get that cool breeze. You kick your feet up, you turn the light on, you start reading it pretty soon, you know, smack, there's a mosquito you got to take care of. And then another one. 
And then the realization comes to you that because you wanted to move air from A to B, right, that air is bringing contaminants with it that you don't want. Yeah. So now you have a Mosquitoes choice. Mosquitoes as contaminants. I exactly. love it. Exactly. So now you got a choice to make. You can shut the window, but then that defeats the purpose of how you wanting to bring air from A to B. Yeah. So you don't want to shut the window. So your solution is to reach up and pull your screen down. And the screen is a filter. So without realizing what you've done really is two of the two of the three key attributes of an air filter you understood and you made action on because you understood them. When you lowered the screen, you realized that that screen would keep the mosquitoes out. But you know if there's little bitty smaller bugs like in like here in the Midwest where I'm at, we got these little bitty tiny red uh, kind of spider looking things. Sometimes they get through the screens. You know it's not going to keep that out, but that's not your problem right now. Mosquitoes are your problem. So you know the screen is the proper filter. You also know that the screen has a resistance to airflow, and it's going to cut some of your airflow. You know that. But you also know it's not going to cut it so drastically that you're going to miss the air, right? So you've made that decision that the pressure drop that the screen puts up is worth the value of the efficiency as it takes the mosquitoes out of the air. So those are two critical components when you size an air filter and you understand that completely. And we've all probably done the exact same thing. We just didn't realize it. We didn't put the terms with it. We didn't think that through, but you just demonstrated pretty much what the most complicated air filtration engineer at his very core, that's two of the things that they're going to take a look at. You know, what, what particles do we need to remove? And can we remove those particles while maintaining the proper airflow? And that's exactly what you did when you lowered the screen and kept the mosquitoes out. Yep, that's beautiful. So, yeah, when you use a screen, you are thinking about all the basic principles of, of indoor air quality and, and filtration. Well, not, not excuse me, not indoor air quality, of filtration. Yeah, it's it's the, the uh, I, I call it the attributes of an air filter. Now, I like to say that there's three attributes of an air filter. Air filters catch dirt, they hold dirt, and they flow air. That's really all an air filter does. It catches dirt, it holds dirt, and it flows air. And that's what your screen does. It, it catches a mosquito, it holds them in place. It doesn't just stop them and they worm their way through. No, they, they're caught. They can't get out. And it's still flowing air. And all filters do that exact same thing. It's just we give terms to those. You know, catching, you know, when you say it catches dirt, that's called particle capture efficiency. Right? And when it holds that dirt, that's called uh, dirt holding capacity. Sometimes in the filter world, the word dirt and dust are used interchangeably. Mm-hmm. So it's just DHC, dirt, dirt holding capacity. That's how much dirt can a filter hold. And then the airflow is called resistance or pressure drop. That's how much air can get through the filter. And all filters have that all three of those attributes. They catch dirt, they hold dirt, and they flow air. And the technical terms are particle capture efficiency, dirt holding capacity, and resistance or pressure drop. So let's talk about dirt. Let's talk about capturing dirt. And at some point I'm going to be asking you about like the, the standard test dirt. But first let's just talk about the filters. Like the, I think it's a good place to start. The, the basic sure. filtration mechanisms. And I think that all of us can understand the concept of a sieve, which is very much like what a screen is. Yeah. Um, but air filters are more than that. Um, how, can you take it from there and just elaborate a little on that? Yeah, air filters, there's kind of four major, actually, potent, actually there's five, 
But we'll just touch on four, I think, for now. Okay. Uh, four mechanisms of filtration. And they they work because I think I would even take a step backward and talk about the, the filtration media, right? So media is the name that's given to the fabric portion of a filter. So a filter, if you imagine, most of us are familiar with the pleated filters that we have in our house, right? Right. So there's two key components to that. You have the frame and you have the media. And they're both critical, but obviously the media is the, is the most critical part because it's actually what captures the dirt. But the frame is really important, and you can't just mm-hmm. dismiss it and say all frames are the same because that's not true. Um, because frames obviously need to be strong. You can shape frames in a V shape. You can do different things like that. So f- frames are really important. But we're going to frames make sure the air goes through the filter as opposed to yeah frames. You can design a frame, and honestly, you can steal and and I think it's fair to say our company has over the years we've stolen some of the principles behind aerospace. You know, because another word for resistance, you could think of resistance as drag. Yeah. Right? So an airplane is designed in a certain way so that air has the least amount of drag. It's the same thing with a filter. You want low drag because you want low resistance. You want that air to get in and out of the filter and frame is an important part of that. But the, the media and filtration media is what is a non-woven fabric. So uh, uh, and the opposite of non-woven would be woven. So you think about your sheets. Or if you got a nice dress shirt, if you look at it close, you can see the repeating pattern of the threads and things like that. That's a woven fabric. A non-woven fabric is what filter almost all filtration media is made out of. So it's just uh, a bunch of fibers. They can either be the same size or various size, and they're laid down in a random pattern, right? So the 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 analogy that I've come up to describe this is: imagine you've got a plate of angel hair pasta, a big boiling uh-huh. pot of angel hair pasta, and then you got a a, uh, a cookie sheet. And you're going to scoop that pasta up when it's nice and done and soft, and you're going to put it in a cookie sheet, and you're going to spread it out nice and flat. Then you're going to get another pot, scoop up another load, put it down on top, and spread it all out and do that a couple of times. And then after it all dries, you pick it up from the corner and hold it up in the air. And then if you look at it through a light, you can kind of see little openings here and there. But then I would say, okay, now imagine you can shrink yourself down to the size of an air molecule and you're being drawn through that filter media. And as you approach the media, it's almost like going through a heavy forest, right? So you're dodging left, you're dipping right, you're going up, you're going down, and you're you're weaving in and out of this forest of fibers and you're making your way through. And it takes you a while, but you do get through that, right? Now, if you're an air molecule and you happen to have a, a dirt particle on your back or you're pushing dirt in front of you, that dirt particle, of course, is a thousand times bigger than a molecule, right? So when you, when air, when you dip to the left, that dirt molecule, that dirt particle is going to get caught on a, on a piece of uh, filter medium, right? On a fiber. Sometimes it'll get caught like a sieve, as you just said. Other times it'll get caught by different mechanisms, which I'll, I think I'll get into in a second, but I think yes, it's please. important to remember that filtration media is a three-dimensional random structure of fibers that just are intertangled and there's multiple paths for air to get through. That's the basic idea behind a filtration media. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. And uh, I, I have used a similar metaphor. I, I like the angel hair pasta. I've always said if you squish down a big wad of cotton candy into a sheet. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that actually... Might be a better one, yeah. Yeah, I like it. So then as far as the mechanisms, I was talking about straining is one that we call it, which is sort of like a sieve that you're talking about. 
And that's when a large particle uh, gets caught between um, two fibers that just basically, it's almost another way to look at that as an acrobat who falls off the trapeze and gets caught on a, uh, on a net, right? It can't get through there and it's trapped on there, okay? Um, that's one way to think of it. So if you think about the, the way to describe the mechanisms, how filtration works, I think one way I'd like to describe it is, imagine you're on a conference table long, and we've all been in those long conference tables, 20 feet long, and you got six or eight chairs down each side. Now imagine somebody took a bowling ball and rolled it right down the middle. And the people on either side are just blowing as hard as they can, right? They can't move that ball. No matter what happens, that ball is just going to go in the direction it's going because the inertia in that ball is, is greater than the influence of the air that we're blowing. So that ball is just going to keep going, okay? Now imagine you have a, uh, a ping pong ball, right? And you roll it down the middle. Well, that's a little bit different. You can blow that thing all over the place, mm-hmm. right? And so what happens when a dirt particle is in an airstream as I was saying before, when those air molecules jog left or right to try to get around the fiber, if the dirt particle is, has enough inertia, when the air goes to the right, that dirt particle just keeps going straight ahead, okay? And it's going to plow ahead, and it's going to hit something, and it's going to get caught. And the same thing with another type of mechanism, which is called impaction, and that's when a particle might be a little bit smaller. In our analogy with the conference table, maybe that's like a tennis ball. Right. Right. It's the same thing. It's smaller than a bowling ball. You really can't blow it. Right. But it's it's small enough that it's going to squeeze through a lot of openings. But eventually it's going to run right into a fiber and it gets caught. Right. Now, those are the biggest particles in the air. And almost every filter can capture those. That's not really difficult for filters to capture. The the harder ones are the really smallest particles and they're caught by two. uh, Two mechanisms and one of those is called inception and that's like the ping pong ball mm-hmm. right it gets blown around and it does move with the air right it moves left it moves right and it's going to sneak its way past a lot of the fibers but if you've got a good filter eventually it's going to hit a fiber and it's going to get caught right because it's not just a weave it's not like a rectangular grid it's this squished uh, angel hair yes. poster this it's squished- a random pattern it's like walking through the woods you can keep dodging tree trunks and everything. But if it's in the summertime, no matter what you do, sooner or later, you're going to hit something and snag your sleeve on something. And that's what happens with inception. Sooner or later, you're moving away with the air, right? You can follow the air because you're small enough, but you're going to hit something. And then the last one is called diffusion. And that's the really smallest of the small particles. They're so small, they actually bounce backwards in the airflow. You know, they're small enough that a collision with a molecule of air can knock them left or right, up or down, backward or forward, and they're going all over the place. So if you remember your high school science classes, you might remember something called uh, Brownian motion. And that's when really, really small particles that are so small, they can actually bounce off of, sort of like billiard balls, they can bounce off of air molecules and they can move in different directions. So Go back to that uh, conference table analogy. If you got something even smaller, maybe a balloon almost, you know, it can get blown forward, backward, up, down. It goes all over the place. And those are the most difficult particles to catch because it's not just they're the smallest, which is true, but because they move all around. There's a benefit to moving all around because it actually kind of enlarges their practical surface area because they're moving. You know, and, and there's a side note that HEPA filters are actually 
more efficient on smaller particles than on larger particles mm-hmm. because those smaller particles are moving so much they're more likely to hit a fiber so that's but those are difficult to catch for other filters so that's the fourth mechanism and there's one final mechanism that's worth uh, discussing because it is a legitimate mechanism it's just it's not a mechanical mechanism those other ones i said were mechanical the uh, the other mechanism is called electrostatic and that happens when a fiber has an electrostatic charge and if you think about it especially if you're and it's in winter time and it's really dry air and you got socks on you've ever walked across the carpet you know you can shock yourself or you ever rubbed a balloon on a flannel shirt and stick it against a wall and things like that and there's lots of different tricks that you can do with that that's electrostatic right and that's because there's an attraction between one object and another object because of the electrostatic charge it picks up. Well, you can make a filter out of filter media that's an electrostatic charge, and it will attract smaller particles. So I would analogy again to go back to the, the woods. I was saying before, we've been in the woods on a summer day, and you just can't walk anywhere without getting hung up on something. Mm-hmm. But now imagine you go back, especially where I'm at in the Midwest in the wintertime, if you go walking through the woods, like deer hunting is big, right? You walk through the woods, there's nothing but tree trunks. There's a lot of leaves on the ground, but there's just bare tree trunks. You can just walk right through the woods with no problem because you're not going to bump into a tree trunk, right? But an electrostatic filter is like that. It's big fibers. Instead of angel hair pasta, it's just like spaghetti noodles, right? So they're big, but they have an electrostatic charge. And imagine you're wearing some kind of a metal vest. If you get too close to the trees and they have a magnetic charge in them, you get pulled over to them and you're stuck there. And that's what happens with electrostatic filtration media. It will attract dirt particles to the fiber that are far smaller than it would normally otherwise capture. So it increases the particle capture efficiency because of the electrostatic charge. That's that's right. That's very good. Actually, I'd like to just summarize that because you said some really important things there. So there are five mechanisms that filters use um, from kind of coarsest or largest particles to the most fine are straining. And this is where a filter is like a sieve. Right. Um, And then we have inertial impaction. And that means whatever path the particle was on and it's kind of, you know, it's following air currents, it bangs into uh, filter media and sticks there. And then you have interception which is similar where it's trying to squeeze by a filter and it sticks to the side. Then you have diffusion, which is Brownian motion that you talked about where the, the it's kind of mind blowing, but the, the particle, the dirt particle is so small that it's actually bouncing into like billiard balls. It's moving through the air and bouncing off of it. And that encounters the filter media. And then there's electrostatic attraction, this last one which is super important. And, and we'll get into that when we talk about the MERV ratings and, and MERV A. But I also just want to summarize, and I want to come back to something you said and clarify, or at least clarify my understanding. So basically there's these filter filtration efficacy curves or filter efficiency curves, and they have the collection efficiency in the vertical axis. Sorry, listeners, it's a really simple graph though. Collection efficiency in the vertical or Y axis, and then particle size across the bottom. So the big particles are off to the right, and that's where we have straining and interception happening and impingement. All those make kind of a curve in one direction. And then we have diffusion making another curve in the other direction. And when you combine all five mechanisms, 
well, actually maybe just all four. And then, and then the fifth is sort of a, another force involved. Let's say that electrostatic attraction. When you, when you combine straining, interception, impingement, and diffusion, you get these classic quote unquote, classic characteristics, characteristic filter curve, which has a dip, has a low spot where its collection efficiency is lowest. And I want to be clear, that dip is usually in the 0.2 to 0.3 micrometer range. So 200 nanometers, 300 nanometers. It doesn't just get to the case where the smallest filters are actually the, the hardest to capture. It's this middle size. Talk to me about that, please. Mike. Correct. There's and, and it's known as MPPS, most penetrating particle size. Right. So there's a couple of ways to test a filter. You can test a filter with very specific particle sizes, and you can determine what the capture efficiency is on that particular size, right? Or you can test a filter and say, okay, well, this is unusual. <laughs> this, this particle size is the most penetrating, meaning if you'd use a particle on the, on the downstream side, downstream stride of the filter, you're like, okay, this particle is the one that I'm reading the most, meaning that's the particle that got past the filter most often. And as you said, let's say it's it's 0.15 microns. And then you look at the rest of your data and you go, well, that's that's odd because um, 0.3 micron, right? It was captured. Uh, in other words, point, it, particles larger and smaller captured at a higher efficiency. Mm -hmm. So why would this particle get squeezed through? And it just happens that that's the mechanism a little bit of Brownian motion and different things like that the way that the, the particles can penetrate filtration, while they may not necessarily be the smallest. So a HEPA filter is a great example. A HEPA filter can actually have a higher efficiency on particles lower than what it's rated on. So a common HEPA filter might be 99.97% at 0.3 micron. It which is actually, where it's rated, by the way. Which That's is where hard. it's rated is what you were talking about. But it could actually have a higher efficiency on a 0.2 micron particle because 0.3 mm -hmm. is the one that's in some cases, the most penetrating particle size. It's the size that's hardest to capture. And it, yeah. and it, it doesn't make intuitive sense unless you stop to think about it. Well, some of those particles are moving back and forth, so their effective size is larger. Smaller particles, slightly larger particles, aren't affected as much by the airflow, and they're coming straighter, so they can get past. That's right. It's, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just want to make a quick like units thing. And it's almost like I watch out for acronyms and I, I just want to watch out here. Uh, micrometer and nanom nanometer um, or nanoparticles. Those aren't acronyms, but just for listeners, right? So one micrometer is 10 to the minus sixth of a meter. So a millionth of a meter. One micrometer is a thousand nanometers. So we just talked about 0.3 micrometers. So that's 300 nanometers. And particles, you know, nanoparticles, when you study those, these are the ones that would most readily be defined, you know, as um, 0.1 micrometer, also known as PM.1, which is 100 nanometers. And this is a particularly interesting particle size when you think about human health, because it is, it is anything actually from two and a half microns and smaller, so 2,500 nanometers and smaller that really our, our basic biology is not well-equipped to handle, right? Um, but when you get down into the 100 nanometer range, so 0.1 micrometer and smaller, now you start to get 
to the term, you know, into the term of direct to blood. Like you breathe it in and it crosses that air blood barrier and it's in, it's in your blood where all sorts of health effects um, beyond yeah, that, the scope of this conversation. <laughs> that's, that's true. I like, I like to think of our body as, as its natural defenses. You got your nose hair and you've got, you know, your, your respiratory system and all the fluids in there and your lungs and all of that stuff. And it does a very good job of keeping out small particles but it wasn't really ever designed to keep out the really finest particles and it gets past our, and, and essentially we're a big filter. Our, breathe, our respiratory system is like an HVAC system in a way. It's got its own filtration mm-hmm. with it. And these particles are really small. It's like we've got a Mervade filter on our nose and we're trying to catch tiny particles and it's just not going to do it. Exactly. It's, it wasn't set up for that. Um, right. Okay, good. So we've, we've, We've got the basic mechanisms of air filters now, filtration capture, um, and we've we've actually defined the which lead to one of the main three performance characteristics of an air filter that designers um, need to know and that the general public should should know about. So particle capture efficiency—that's the curve that we just talked about. You you superimpose all these mechanisms, and you get this. It's basically kind of like a U. Um, you know it. It's curved out. It's like a parabola with wings. Um, maybe we'll put a picture. We'll put a picture in the show notes. I'll write <laughs> there that there. It's hard to yeah. describe this curve, but basically yeah. it has a dip. There's a dip yeah. in the quote unquote middle. It's a log scale for the X axis, but it's got a dip where the MPPS, the most penetrating particle size occurs. And so I'm just going to emphasize this one more time. Listeners, it's not the case that as you buy uh, filters that have higher and higher particle capture standards, it's not the case that the, it's the smallest particles that are always the hardest to capture. It is this MPPS, and this is in the 0.1 to 0.3 micrometer range or 100 to 300 nanometer range. Okay, Correct. so Mark, for you, right? So there's these three performance attributes of an air filter. And just for summarizing, one is particle capture efficiency, which we've covered. The next two are dirt holding capacity and air resistance. Um, could you talk a little bit about each of those? Sure. Um, so dirt holding capacity is the, the ability of a filter. So the particle capture captures the dirt. Dirt holding capacity holds the dirt. And, as and that's opposed to letting it back into the airstream, as, I guess. As, as, yeah, exactly. Having it uh, work its way loose and get down, we, we get past and goes down into the, to the airstream. But, but it really, dirt holding capacity equates to service life, right? How long can you have a filter in service? Because Dirt holding capacity and the next attribute, which is efficiency, they're they're closely related. Actually, all three of these things are very related because they all interact with one another and a change in one affects the other two. But uh, capacity and resistance really go together because as capacity increases, meaning as the filter starts to load with dirt, there's less areas for those dirt particles to get through, Right. Because the air then is the air can't flow through, so the air, of course, air always follows the path of least resistance. So as the air as the filter starts to load with dirt, the air has to find other avenues to escape. Right? Another great analogy. I'm sorry about the analogies, but no, here's another. Here's another great analogy. Is imagine you're on a highway. It's four or five lanes wide, and there's an accident in the middle lane, and all the cars start to back up. So what happens is the cars slow down. And some cars will go to the left, some cars will go to the right. And if you're unlucky enough to be in the middle lane, you kind of got to squeeze your way in. And then, but the backup happens, right? The traffic behind starts to build up and that's pressure drop. Okay. 
So as they start to build up, right? So for dirt holding capacity, as that starts to happen, there's fewer and fewer places for the air molecules to go. Or in another case, let's say you're you're in, a, in an accident like that and cars are trying to get out and there's another accident. All of a sudden now, you don't have two avenues to escape. You can't go to the left and the right because there's an accident on the shoulder. So now everybody's got to go to the left because there's two lanes that are blocked, mm-hmm. right? And so when that happens, pressure drop starts to increase. And when pressure drop increases, that means airflow that's into the space decreases. And that's you don't want that, right? You, you The whole point of ventilation is you're trying to supply the correct amount of air into a space. So as filters start to load with dirt, pressure drop increases. So the longer you can, the, the more dirt a filter can hold before the pressure drop increases, the better off you are because it'll stay in service longer. It's less expensive to operate. It's sometimes difficult to tell one filter from another, but they're just basic ideas. So think about a flat, in the filter world, we have something known as a, a ring panel. It's just a flat piece of polyester fiber, right? A, a material, okay? And there's a place in the filter world for that, right? It, it performs a function. And it's got, it's two, let's say a 24 inch by 24 inch, that's four square feet of media, right? What'd you call it? A ring? A ring panel. That's what we call in the industry. It's just, it's a metal, it's square, We it's ring, but it's called ring, but it's a square. It's 24 inches by 24 inches, and it's two or three layers of polyester foam. And by the way, you know, we didn't talk about this, um, the woven and non-woven. We talked about woven and non-woven filter yeah. media, but we didn't talk about what the actual media was. Is it all polyester or is it? No, that's a good point. No, it's not. In fact, that's a critical thing. I think we'll get into that when we talk about MERV and MERV A, because there's, you can have what we just generically call synthetic, which is a polymer-based fiber, polyester, polypropylene, et cetera, et cetera. That's one type. You can have another type, which is fine uh, uh, microglass fibers. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's another fun. Okay. Yeah, so, I and want to get this out. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and so there's, you, you don't want to get hung up on the word glass or think about uh, it, I would prefer to say glass fiber as opposed to fiberglass because when people hear fiberglass, they think about the insulation they think, they're adding. Yeah, right? yikes. Why would I want that, that in my hair right? Yeah. But, but uh, glass fiber is a little bit different analogy. And what I would say, virtually every HEPA filter, and if you've ever been in a hospital or had surgery or something like that, uh, or right now we're using computers and they have microchips in them that had to have been produced in a very pristine area, very clean environment, you know, they were, the, the air was certainly protected with HEPA filters and almost every HEPA filter is glass fiber media. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with glass fiber media, but there's two basic types of fibers that are used in filtration. One would be a polymer-based, polyester, polypropylene, something like that. And the other one would be glass fiber. Beautiful. Okay, so yeah, we, I actually kind of interrupted you. You were talking about no, the, yeah. ring, the ring pan. Yeah, so the, so yeah. yeah, so ring panel is twenty four inches by twenty four inches. It's Are you a saying panel? P a n e l. Yeah, yep. P a n e l. Got it. Now, if you look it up online, you'll see a bunch of pictures of them, right? And and um, so it's got four square feet of media because it's a flat. It's a flat surface, twenty four inch by twenty four inch. That's four square feet. Now, if you take a look at the filter in your furnace, if it's a pleated filter. If you take that filter and rip it out of the frame, it's like an accordion. You spread it out, right? So now you've got more surface area. You have more filtration media in that same space, so you can hold more dirt. So a pleated filter 
holds more dirt than a flat panel because yeah. it has more more surface area to hold all of the dirt. Yeah, so, that makes really good sense. Right, and yeah. so that's where you get into have, you can have bag filters that extend 22 inches or 30 inches back and they may have eight or 10 pockets. You know, they may have 100 square feet of media. And you can get micro um, or you can get um, mini pleats where you could have a 24 inch or 24 inch by 24 inch by 12 inch deep V-bank filter and it could have 200 square feet of media in a 24 inch by 24 inch space. You so know, those filters 50 can times last more. <laughs> yes. Those filters can last three years. In some cases, five years. In some places, 10 years, depending on the application. So uh, dirt holding capacity relates to service life. How long can you leave that filter in service as long as it's flowing air? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can start to see as a, you know, listeners that selecting the right filter it's, it's, first of all, it's a filtration system, right? So what, what is the fan? What is the duct system? What is the approach to the filter? You know, cause we, we didn't really talk about this, but in those mechanisms, when you're really looking at how air and filters interact, filters can make turbulence, turbulent paths are going to create yes. different boundary layers around the filters. And, you know, so it's, and that means the approach, the mechanical system design and the approach, um, flow vectors as well as the flow velocity. I mean, it's it's quickly very complicated from a fluid dynamic standpoint. And even from a, a shopping, going shopping standpoint, you have, of course, particle capture efficiency. You, you know, you have dirt holding capacity, you have resistance. And I want to focus on resistance. The average house has two to 3,000 pounds of air in it. And, you know, in the Austin cooling climate, I've done the math it is about 40,000 pounds of air moving across a filter on a given day, right? So this idea that, oh, we have a little resistance with, uh, with the air filter, but it's, it's fine because it's doing a really good job with that resistance. It's, it's filtering better. Um, well, resistance to airflow is what you pay for. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, your exactly. Your family work harder to move the air. Yeah, yeah if you... If you- if you break down all the component costs involved in an HVAC system and just look at the cost of each one to operate, energy, the, the energy required to turn the fan blades, generally speaking, is 70% of the overall cost. Yep. So for every $10 you spend on an air filtration program, $7 is spent on energy. You're sending that to the utility company to turn the fan because air, as you said, air is a fluid, air has weight, right? And you have to move that air through the system. And a filter, all filters put up a resistance to airflow, right? Every filter does. Some are better than the others. And the and generally speaking, the larger, the, and this is a broad statement, but generally speaking, the larger the filter, the lower the pressure drop. Back to the analogy I just said about the mm-hmm. ring panel, the flat surface versus a, a pleated surface. I don't know if you ever do any sailing or anything like that. But if you think about, well, if you have a pleated media, so a a 24 inch by 24 inch pleat may have 15 square feet of media versus a two inch, a a two by two ring panel, which only has four. So you can see all that extra media. So ask yourself a question then, why don't sailboats use pleated sails? Because doesn't that mean there's more media and so they should catch more air so they should go faster, right? But it's actually the opposite, because if you have a pleated sail, that means your air has way more avenues to escape. 
Mm -hmm. right? And your resistance on a pleat is going to be much lower than a flat panel. So yeah. sails are not pleats because if they were, they wouldn't get any speed. You need yeah, a you flat want the surface. force you want resistance. You want right? the yeah, and it gets to the mass again. Like you want the mass of the air to hit the sail yes. to move you. And you know, exactly. this actually gets into a, a metaphor that I use, which is um, you have your let's say normal house air on one side with a lot of particles, which are called pollutants. And pollutants, yeah. by the way, mean um, not good for the health. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that's you want to pull the definition. pollutants out and you can imagine, oh, well, if I don't want any dirt to get through the filter, I'm just going to use a piece of poly like sheet plastic and no air is going to get through. Well, now you've violated your other thing from the mosquito metaphor. No, you want on the other side of the filter, clean air to go back into the house. Right. So, um, you could see like what I need is to get as many particles as I can and deliver the cleanest air I can while reducing resistance and keeping dirt filled, you know, dirt holding capacity high. It's just a big um, kind of a, a blended decision-making landscape. Yeah. And, and I, again, I'll go back to one, one more analogy if I can. And, and we've, we've all seen Venn diagrams. So imagine your basic Venn diagram where you have three circles that are coming together. You have one circle at the top and two down on either side at the bottom. And if you can imagine the you know particle capture efficiency, that's the top circle. And the circle on the right is dirt holding capacity and the circle on the bottom left is resistance to airflow. So you bring all of those circles together and right there in the middle where they intersect, that is the optimum filter because that means you've got the correct particle capture efficiency, you're giving yourself the longest practical service life, and you've got the lowest average resistance. Because an air filter manufacturer, it's easy to make a filter that has a very high efficiency, right? That's easy to do. Sort of like you were talking about with a piece of polymedia, but you can put something else that lets a little bit of air go by, but you have extremely high particle capture efficiency. On one hand, you can say, well, that's great. On the other hand, you can say, well, your resistance is sky high, so it's not very practical and it has no ability to hold dirt. So while it may be very good at efficiency, it's very poor at resistance and capacity. And you yeah. can make the opposite. You can make a filter with very low resistance, you know, a pleated filter with, let's say, 0.2 inches of water gauge at 500 feet per minute. That's very low, right? And for a MERV-8, you know, that's a low resistance. You say, well, look at me. I just Excellent. made a great filter. But if you take a close look at it and realize, well, yeah, but your efficiency really isn't very high because, you know, you've got to have that. So that's why you've got that Venn diagram and think about how difficult it is to make a filter that does all three things very well, which changes, by the way. If you're in, if you're in a hospital OR, you know, that's one filter. If you need something for a lumberyard, that's a different type of filter. But they all have their own diagram where they all intersect and they work the best for that application. That's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So I have a few quick points and then we'll, we'll get back to sure. our, our canned yeah. agenda. But one is, uh, and you, you've wove it into your thing there, your conversation, like um, MERV-8 filtration is spec'd by the manufacturers as a way to make sure that their equipment, you know, both the heat exchange um, component, the coil, and yeah. the fans stay relatively clean. And one of the things that happens is it kind of, it's kind of fits two different categories of what you said. But if, if a lot of dirt gets through, especially in air conditioning mode, now you have a fan in a relatively wet environment and dirt is getting through. So the dirt is going to stick to the fan. And when dirt sticks to the fan over time, 
the fan stops working. You know, fan blades, there's a whole lot to say about yeah. fan blades. We could get right. into forward and backward curve. And, but fundamentally, the fa- a dirt-loaded fan where dust dirt is stuck to the fan blades is just slapping the air. And now you're not moving air through. So now none of your HVAC is working. You're not getting your cooling through, your heating through. You know, you have this right. fan slapping right. the air. Yeah. When, when I do and, a filtration 101... I, I say there's two dirty secrets in the filter world that I know about that you don't know about if I'm talking to somebody. And and one dirty secret is the filters that come with your units are not designed to protect you. They're designed exactly. to protect the equipment. Merv 8 the, for the filters, Merv yes. 13 or 16 that's, for you. Yes. And, that's, and the, that's the first dirty secret of air filtration. Oh, is there a second one? And the second one is Merv 8, the efficiency drop-off. That's the other dirty secret. Okay, we'll talk about that next. That's definitely coming up. We're going to get into Merv. But related to this dirt getting past the filter, right? This is where the concept of a system is important, or even just thinking of the filter chassis, because you have these pleated media filters where you get tremendously high surface areas, which are fantastic. But it also means that it's not just a sheet going across your airflow. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a situation where you're holding filter media in a specific configuration. And if you're not careful and thoughtful about it, air will simply bypass the filter. It'll yeah. go around. It'll yeah. just make it. And so when will it bypass the filter more? As the filter gets more and more loaded Correct. up. And yes. on the simple filters like the sheet ones, they'll get so domed out in the middle that I think many of us in the industry here have seen them literally get popped out of their chassis. And they're. Oh, you know, I, I could show you pictures that you wouldn't believe, you know, and. And, and I've had one favorite picture that I show at a food plant that I would never identify, but I guarantee you've eaten it. All of us have eaten this particular, th- and it's that exact case there where they, they had some low-cost filters, right? And they had them in a very expensive new system, and they loaded up with dirt quickly. Boom. And they, uh, they collapsed. And in this case, they actually got all the way through to the fan and got, it was a belt driven fan and ripped the, broke the fan and tore the whole belt off, which sounds terrible. But on the other hand, if it hadn't been for that, if those filters had not buckled all the way through, it may have been another month before they went up there and looked and the air would have just been bypassing all along. (laughs) So in retrospect, it was a good thing they broke and tore the fan up. Let's not make filters getting loaded and falling out (laughs) a good thing. No, let's not do that. But yeah, good design is important, you know, and, and I want you guys to be clear that your engineers are on the job, you know, being um, suspicious. That's not the right word. Being cautious, being uh, thoughtful that if you hear about um, like a MERV 16 filter and what we want to do is we want to find a nice low pressure drop MERV 16 filter, which generally means larger surface area. But then you find one. Oh, look, it's small surface area. It says it's MERV 16. First of all, you start to suspect, you know, a lot of electrostatic attraction, which we're going to get to. But I start to suspect filter bypass, right? Like, okay, if I've got this too good to be true situation, then I'm going to really start to wonder. I I made a graph. I could probably send it to you. It was written up in a uh, um, professional retail store maintenance organization because we did work at a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And if if you think about a dirt loading curve, there's basically three, and again, this is a very broad description. There's three curves. There's one curve that's almost a 45 degree angle, which is a linear line where it goes straight up. Mm-hmm. And then there's another curve that just basically doesn't really increase at all. It just stays flat all the way across. And it's tempting to think of, well, okay, between those two curves, 
The second one is ideal because you're capturing dirt and you're not adding resistance, right? But the reality is if you, if you go look at that system and look at the downstream side of the filter and see how dirty the downstream side of the filter, you realize it's not. The, the pressure isn't building, not because it's a great filter and it's got a lot of dirt holding capacity. The pressure's not building because air is bypassing or air is going right through the filter, right? So the ideal filter has what we would call a hockey stick curve, where it kind of gradually stays flat, very, very slowly increases until it gets to the near the end of its life, then it increases very quickly. Yep. That's the ideal curve because now you know that it's capturing dirt, it's very slowly increasing, and air has plenty of avenues to escape to. And finally, it gets to the point where there's no more avenues for air to escape, and then it increases. That's the yep. ideal loading curve. Beautiful. And, and just to take it one level deeper is that for houses like mine where I have circuit level energy monitoring and I'm monitoring the energy use of my HVAC, you'll start to see the energy use gradually, gradually increase as your filter gets more and more loaded. Yeah. And you could even imagine scenarios, I mean, and there are scenarios where it'll send off a signal or an alarm saying, okay, you're due for a filter change now. Okay, hello listeners, this is Christoph interrupting my own interview to let you know that this interview ran quite long, nearly two full hours. And we are gonna pause here for part one and we'll be releasing part two in two weeks. Please join us then. And we want to thank you so much for your nerdiness and your interest in this important subject and in the building science realm altogether. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.